I know people are traveling. Some people are getting ready to go to Israel. Well, we will, we will miss you, but we won't feel too bad for you because you'll be out there enjoying your time too. And we have some visitors, I'm sure, that are traveling in, some family members, and, and maybe this is your first time here. I want to make sure to welcome you one more time. Thank you for being here. If you're watching, thank you for being with us online, or if this is later sometime, whenever it is. We just appreciate you being part of our community today. Please, we hope that you stick around. Consider us like a friend. You don't have to knock. Just come on in. Thank you for being with us. Happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. And uh, it's, a, it's a great privilege here in, in June 2023 to be together. Let's, let's seek the Lord in prayer before we open the word uh, in our teaching this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for making this all possible. Thank you for this community, for the children. Thank you for fathers, and thank you for teaching us how to truly love. Please always challenge us to love like you. And Father, as we open the word, let it, let it be that you speak to us. Because only in Christ, only in you, only in the cross, we, we can make sense and meaning of our lives and what the scriptures say. So thank you, Lord. Give us your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the cost of freedom? How much does it cost to be free? This month, two big events that we commemorate in the month of June that have to do with freedom, that have to do with the answer to that question. And there could be more, but as I was thinking, uh, I was thinking about these two things. They're big, they're huge, and they have to do with this question. The first one will happen this Monday. Some people know it as Juneteenth, other people know it as Emancipation Day. It commemorates in 1865 the proclamation of freedom of the enslaved in Texas. And of course, for some, it is symbolic of the whole proclamation and liberation of the enslaved here in the United States. It was kind of a reckoning. It was, it's a big deal. And of course, we associate that with the Civil War and everything that happened then. And in fact, these two events have, unfortunately, to, they have in common that they are part of the deadliest uh, days and battles for the armed forces in the United States. Of course, the one being Antietam, I remember going there with a, on a choir trip, and it's very sobering to be there. The choir, we sang Amazing Grace over the fields there in Antietam in 1865. Liberation and freedom. The second one has to do with another one of the, the biggest battles, the biggest invasion. Of course, we're talking about June 6, 1944, during the World War II, the Second World War. More than 160,000 troops collaborating between air, sea, and land to deliver these troops and start what would become the invasion of Europe, the liberation of France, the liberation of Europe. 
And it is June that those commemorations happen because that's, that's when it took place. And uh, the, it was said, because this year marks the 79th anniversary of what came to be known as D-Day. It was said in the 75th, 75th anniversary that uh, they'll probably be the last time that, that we, they would have survivors come to those beaches, about a 50-mile stretch of beach in Normandy. Uh, but even this year, the 79th anniversary, there were still, there were still there survivors. And that caught my attention, uh, these survivors, as I think of what they went through and how much freedom costs and what, uh, what it means to us today in our study today. And one of them, one of them, his name is Sergeant Jake Larson. You might have heard of him, a hundred-year-old veteran who survived that day. He also got involved. I guess he had to do something with the planning, some of the, of the planning things they had to do uh, for that invasion. And uh, I heard a little interview that, that the Associated Press was doing with him, and just his, the energy he had with that interview caught my attention as he was talking about that liberation uh, and what they did, and as they were asking him questions, he said, I'm just a country boy. Now I'm, in, I'm a star on TikTok. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, that's okay. But he does. <laughs> so apparently he has a big following because of what he mean, means, what he represents, 100 years old. He says, you can see me all over. Papa Jake, they call me. I'm a legend, he said. And then he said, I did not plan this. It came about. That day, as the story is told, uh, he, he was 15 years old when he enlisted. Like many lied about his age. And God enlisted and ended up being on that day, on D-Day. Um, that day when he was running, he said, surviving the machine gun fire that many people died for in those terrible hours of June 6, uh, he was not, he didn't set out to be a hero or a leader or he didn't think about 2023, the celebration, the 79th celebration. But there he was being faithful to what he believed, right? And for that we are most, we must be most thankful. And I think about this, and I think about those two events that we, sell, we, we commemorate in June. And I think about another kind of invasion, something else that also happened long time ago. Perhaps it's a comparison that you're, you're willing to make with me. But if you think about this idea of an invasion in order to liberate, the whole thing was to set free, to liberate and give freedom to those that were under the tyranny either of slavery or the tyranny of the Nazi regime. Well, but there's an even bigger tyranny. There is an even bigger invasion, even less plausible to two other soldiers, we can say, that God called them 
to about 2,000 years ago. Of course, we're talking about our study. We're studying about Saul. We're studying about Barnabas. Last, last week, uh, Caleb and Addison, if you didn't see that, you need to see that. They were on this platform sharing the first installment of that study. We're going to study through the summer how God used this man who had been filled with hatred for Christians, literally, and for the leaders, and how God turned him around and used him to liberate Europe from spiritual darkness. And so that's what we're going to study. And as I thought about that, how, li how likely was it that this man Saul would end up becoming the hero? He did not set out to do that. He, he was not planning on being an apostle when he was killing the apostles. He was not planning uh, on, on being part of the gospel going to further into Europe when he started the persecution. But because of God's providence, the gospel... The gospel has the power to change everything, even us, even our world. Later on in his life, he recounts his calling. This is Acts 26. We'll talk about this when we get there, but I wanted to get a picture. I wanted us to get a picture of his own when he thinks about his calling. He said, he, he was talking about his testimony. He said, Jesus, when he appeared to him, he said to him, I am sending you to them to open their eyes. See? And turn them from darkness to light. It's a kind of liberation and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive Receive forgiveness of sins. Freedom. True freedom. That's what Jesus sent him to do. And that's why we have called this teachings, this, this study together this summer, uh, Unshackled. Why? Because if you think about it, we're all enslaved to something. Either to self and living for myself. Regardless of my background, even in the church, even as believers, we could be enslaved, enslaved to live for self. Or we are servants of the living God. True freedom at the end of the day is surrender, total surrender to Jesus Christ. Last time, like, like Caleb uh, and Addison told us, uh, Barnabas played an important part in Saul's, Saul's life. And we, we could try to print this little map because I knew it was going to be way too small for you. So in your bulletin, you should have this little map. You can kind of follow along just to give you a snapshot of this, we can call it, quote unquote, invasion, if you would, if you want to make that analogy with me thousands of miles that they had to cross sea and land for this liberation, for especially for Gentiles, for the people that had not known Jesus or had not known the Bible even or the truth about God. That's what Paul had called him to do. And, and so the last we knew is that Barnabas, because of Barnabas, uh, Saul was able to meet Peter and James in Jerusalem. Remember, again, if you didn't see it, you need to see that. And, because, and that, that was because of Barnabas. We thank God for the ministry of Barnabas uh, because otherwise we would have no apostle Paul. 
But then he, he started preaching in Jerusalem and he got into trouble and he had, the, the disciples had to um, let, help him escape from Jerusalem. And, and so he went back uh, to Tarsus. The same thing had happened in Damascus. Remember that when he had been in Damascus and he started preaching, uh, obviously the Jewish leaders there did not like that. He confounded them. God was using in a powerful way. They had to, remember that story, they had to let him uh, escape uh, in a basket. That was the mass. So he already is under persecution. He ends up being in Tarsus, his hometown, where he ministered for some time. And he, he, he knew that God had called him, but he didn't know how. He didn't know the timing, and he trusted in God. And so we pick up the story here. Would you go with me to, the, to chapter 11, the book of Acts? Chapter 11, the book of Acts. We're going to read several verses of the book of Acts, so keep your Bible open to that book. As we study today, some of them will be on the, on the, on the screen, but, but many will not. So look them up on your device, on your Bible, whatever version you, you, you prefer. This is the story. We'll pick it up. Chapter 11 of the book of Acts in verse 19. Because something was happening and it wasn't in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was at work. So verse 19, and I read verse 19 of the book of Acts in chapter 11. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews only. Did you get that? So Saul had been intervening, had, had, been, had a part in, in Stephen's stoning. Remember that? He, had, he was... Hating uh, the, 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 this, this sect, this Jew, the, the, this thing that had arisen from, from these Jews, this, this uh, unlearned men who were claiming about Jesus, these things, and he was persecuting them. Well, that actually caused the Christians to, to disperse and to go to different areas, and they were preaching in other areas now. So even before he knew it, he had a part in the gospel going to the world. <laughs> Notice that it says that they did not speak to anyone except who? The Jews. Was that really what the Spirit wanted? I love verse 20. It says, but, I love this, but there were some, praise God today, that there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, that's in Africa, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks or Hellenists uh, and preaching the Lord Jesus. So praise God for these men who were not like the other men that were only speaking to Jews. Amen? You see how the Spirit is leading. They were not from, from Antioch. They were from Cyprus, which by the way, Barnabas was from Cyprus. Cyprus is an island you can see on the map there. It's a big island there off of the coast of, of modern-day Turkey. And it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful area. I'll show you a picture in a second. But he was from there, and, and there were other people from there, and they decided to make that, to cross that barrier. Antioch was the place where the gospel started crossing barriers that humans were trying to maintain. And that was the first place where the spirit, it's just the gospel exploded. And so a lot of things were happening. And so the church sent out Barnabas. Let's keep reading. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent who? 
Barnabas. By the way, his name was Joseph. Remember that? Off to Antioch. So there he goes. Barnabas goes to Antioch. And then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced, began to encourage them and, uh, and with resolute heart and remained true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Antioch became the center of Christianity. It started overshadowing even the numbers that had come to believe in Jesus in Jerusalem. But, but... He needed help. So verse 25, he left for Tarsus to look for, for Saul. And so again, we see that Barnabas intervenes in the life of Saul. And he says, Saul, I need your help. I need your help here in Antioch. You can't believe what's happening. Remember that? Come on over to Antioch. And come help me. If it hadn't been for Barnabas, it would have been a different story. And this is, a, this is an important distinction here. Let's keep reading a little bit. One more verse. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called what? They were first called Christians. This is where the church gained the identity of Christ. Up to this point, it had been known as the way. Remember that? In the book of Acts, sometimes you see the way, the way. And, and they had been associated with the fish. It would do that for some time, the, the, the fisherman, the fish. You see that in catacombs and things like that. But here's where it took that identity of Christian. It could be translated as the party of Christ. Why did they give them that name well because they would not stop talking about Christ because they identified before anything else they identified with Christ they said this is the most important part of my life and as they talked and as they preached and as they lived next to the people that they were working Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire so this is a metroplex. This is a, uh, you know, there's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of stuff going on in Antioch. And this is where he's at. And this is where they, they gained this identity. As they worked and there was a lot of commerce and all these things, people realized these people do not stop talking about their Christ. So they are the party of Christ. That's what they're about. And at first they might have been uh, like a label Right? Not something to be proud of. They love those Christians. But they might as well call us Christians if we choose to identify our lives with Christ. See, because this gospel that is going to go to all the world, to, to Asia Minor, to Europe, and all these places, this gospel calls us to identify with Christ before anything else in our lives. Before any identifying mark, any other identifying mark that we can have, let us be about Christ. Before uh, differences or, or before uh, political parties or before people know that I am from Argentina... That's hard if they hear me speak. 
right? And if they hear me talk about being world champions, oh, let's not get into sports. Before they know you're a Nuggets fan, oh, no, immense for that, okay. And Braden, we forgive you, you're all right. <laughs> if you're listening to me. But before they know all that, let them know that I'm part of the party of Christ. Before they can label me about anything else, before they can judge me about anything else that I do or say, let them know that I am with Christ. Before my relationships, before even our sexuality, before our bank accounts and retirement funds, before my accomplishments and accolades, let them know I'm about Christ. Even before my insecurities, before my anxiety, my doubt of what is God doing in my life. Let them know that I am with Christ. Christians, they called us. And so we are. Let people see that that's what we are about. It happened here in Antioch. And so it became a center. It became the home base for this trip that God had him going Uh, that he separated them for. And it is where they start. Let's let's jump a little bit to chapter 13. Let's read a little bit here where God finally says, okay, you worked here in Antioch. You have all these, uh, I, I need you to go to other cities. I need you to go to other places where there's people there. There's all the people that need to hear and need to be uh, to understand this freedom that you're speaking in Christ. So let's go to chapter 13. Now there was at Antioch in the church. There was prophets and teachers. Now listen to this. Barnabas, so he's called a teacher, a prophet, and an apostle later on. Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. So these are people from all over the place. Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Interesting, like a half-brother to Herod. Did you know that? In, Bar- in Antioch, as a, as a teacher and prophet, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This is where this journey and adventure began, where they went to other places in the world. But don't miss this. They were in Antioch, the third largest city in Rome. That's where the Holy Spirit was just, boom, everything was catching like, bad analogy in Colorado, but like wildfire, okay? So, um, that, that's where it's happening. And then he says, I need you to go to other cities where people are so they too have this freedom and they too hear this message. I want to share a quote, reading and studying for this. I could not, I could not have this, this teaching today without sharing this quote from the book, uh, from the book of Acts of the Apostles, uh, Unlikely Leaders, which is a, a, a more modern rendition. Listen to this. Today... God intends that chosen, talented workers be stationed in important centers of population. It is also his purpose that church members living in these cities use their God-given talents in working to draw others. Such workers will find that many who never could have been reached in any other way are ready to respond to intelligent, personal effort. And then we must use 
every possible means to put today's opportunities to wise use. Listen, listen, check it out. I know, I know that there will be a time when we can no longer serve with freedom in our large cities. I understand that. But I hear God saying, not yet. This is not the time. I'm still sending you to populated areas. Uh, we, we, I know we want to get away. We want our children to be protected from the bad influences and all this stuff. But God says, I'm still sending you out. I still got cities that I need you to go to. I still got people. And we, we are blessed here in uh, Loveland, Colorado, that people are actually coming to this place. <laughs> It's becoming more populated. And I understand all the stresses that that brings. But what a great opportunity. Can we stop looking at our lives through our human eyes only? And can we catch a glimpse of what God has seen? Look, I know it's not going to be easy. But I'm still sending you out where people are. They still need to hear. You know, it's, it, it, they still need to, need to hear. And it's going to be difficult. And there's going to be, if you... If you if you, as you read the stories of Paul, you, we're going to see how they, they, there was a lot of very difficult times. But it happened because they were serving in populated areas. And God opened those doors for them. And we have to show, we have to, we have to show our young people, for them to get inspired to do this, to go where there's people and serve there. Because that's where we need them the most. I say that because there was a young man with Saul and, 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 and Barnabas. As you know, his name was John Mark. Now, if you, as you read the story, John Mark is a young man, possibly the one who, who eventually helped Peter write the Gospel of Mark. But the point is that in this first missionary journey, as things started getting really difficult, he left them. He left them. And Paul didn't want to take him later on in his second journey. We'll talk about that next week. But, but here's the thing. Barnabas did, of course, the son of encouragement, Joseph, Barnabas to the rescue. They were relatives. But it was more than that. Barnabas has the gift of encouraging. Paul didn't want to take his time. Whatever, whatever happened, God ended up using both of them. But Barnabas mentored John Mark. He said, God needs you still in these places of populated. And he taught him. And at the end of Paul's life, even Paul said, bring him because he's useful to me. So when the young people see us, are they seeing us fleeing from the burning, from the burning building? Or are they seeing us putting on our gear to go towards it? God is still, he's saying, I hear him say, not yet. Stand your post, soldier. Stand your ground where there's people. Let them see the gospel, the freedom in this complicated life of 2023. Let us not leave our posts here in Loveland, Colorado. Even as people move in. Even as stresses become harder and, and the hustle and bustle. Yes, we need to stay away from the bad influences, but we cannot isolate ourselves in such a way that we are no longer useful in what God is trying to, to do with us. And so they went. <laughs> First stop, Cyprus. Did you realize that Cyprus is a beautiful destination um, 
for tourism. Maybe some of you will visit after I show you this picture. This is a famous picture from Cyprus. Uh, and Cyprus has a long history. Greeks and all kinds of stuff. It's good snorkeling and good beaches, good food, all kinds of stuff in Cyprus. This is where they went first. Well, they, they went to other towns, but then they sailed. You can see kind of the map. They sailed towards Cyprus. Cyprus where Barnabas was from. So this was his hometown. It's like the Holy Spirit led them first where it was more comfortable. There was a lot of Jews here, synagogues and all of this. And this is where they went first, to the island of Patmos. I'm like, God, I could serve there. Send me there. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> um, of course, those of you who like the mountains and you, and you think they're always calling and you must go, then you, you're in the right place here. Amen. <laughs> This is where they met, uh, if, you, if you read, the, they met a proconsul called Sergius Paulus. Paulus, interesting, Sergius Paulus. And then in this, in this place is where, um, where there was a sorcerer, a, a false prophet. So if you look at verse 7 in, chapters, in chapter 13, it talks about the proconsul. And then in verse 8, it talks about this magician, this false prophet who opposed Saul in his preaching when he was trying to give evidence to the proconsul, this important leader. Uh, in this island of Cyprus, some, some, some people had doubted that, that Luke, Dr. Luke was correct in what he was saying about something, but archaeology has given us a lot of evidence that actually Dr. Luke is right on in this thing. And, and even uh, there's a beautifully uh, mosaic, ancient mosaic, a palace with, with some mosaics in it. It's one of the best preserved ancient mosaic uh, archaeological sites in the world. So if you go there as a tourist, please take a picture of that and send it to me because I want to know what the mosaic looks like. And so this, and it could have been, the, by the way, the palace could have been the palace of Sergio Paulus that who was, listening, who was listening to Paul. And so you can see the opposition from this false prophet. But here is... An interesting verse. I need you to, take, to check this out. Um, verse 9. Okay? So this false prophet is opposing and talking and this. And it says, but Saul, who was also known as what? Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Fixed his gaze on him. And then, and then gave him blind, blindness. Which is interesting because that's what, that's what Saul had suffered for three days. Remember before Ananias showed up? That's not a coincidence. But, but so he, he gave him blindness. But look at, I want you to notice this, this name thing. He had two names, Saul and Paul. So let's clear this thing out right here. Sometimes we think that it was kind of like Jacob where God told Jacob, you're going to be called Israel from now on. Or Abraham, you're going to be Abraham. But in Saul's case, it wasn't like that. It wasn't that we don't have any, any evidence that God told him your name will be Paul. But we do have evidence that Saul himself started taking the name of Paul. Why, you would say? Saul was his Hebrew name. And Saul is associated, of, of course, with what in the in story of Israel? The first king. That's right. So Saul was the first king, uh, and, and it was associated with this man of a lot of potential, but a lot of rash decisions and, and selfishness, and lost his way. Like, almost like uh, associated with, uh, maybe with um, self-trust, and, and, and thinking that I can do it on my own, my own way. That's kind of what Saul, but Paul was his Roman name, because remember he was a Roman citizen. 
And Paul means little, small. Paulos, which is the na same name as the proconsul. And this right here, this verse is where we get a little bit of that change. From now on, Luke is going to refer to him as Paul. And if you read all his letters, every time he starts a letter, he says, does he say Saul, a servant of God? No, he says, Paulos, dulos Christos, a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul, why did he pick that name? Well, first of all, he was, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. So he, it was a name that the Romans, the Greeks could identify with. So he was already trying to, to find commonality with them. But also, because he calls himself always the least. He calls himself the worst sinner. He calls himself the least of the apostles. He calls himself all these, always kind of minimizing and understanding because he was a persecutor, a terrorist to Christians, and now he is an apostle. So he prefers to take the name Paulos, Paul. Isn't that interesting? And this is where it happens. His identity becomes strong right here. I am going to be known as Paul. I am going to be known as little in my trips, in my adventures, in my journeys with God. That's an important testament of what it meant for him to preach the gospel. And it happened here in, in Cyprus. In Cyprus. Well, after this encounter, let's keep going because we, we, we don't have a lot of time to do this first journey to this. So we're going to keep, keep tracking. And so they go, they take sail again and they go and they cross and they start going into these other provinces and they end up at a place called Antioch. But this is a different Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia. In the province of Galatia. Does it ring any bells? Now, it, for a long time, we thought that Galatia was further north. But there's a lot of archaeological evidence now that helps us understand that these churches that he went to in his first journey were actually the churches of Galatia. So as you read this first journey and you study this first journey, keep in mind, these are the Galatians. We'll get there in a second. And so they're there in Antioch, in the synagogue. First they went to the synagogue to preach to the Jews and tell them about Jesus. And he has, there's a long sermon here. Well, not long, not too long. But there's a, Luke um, wanted to write his sermon to the, his Jewish brothers and sisters there in the synagogue. And if you study it, you'll, you'll find that he talks a lot about the prophecies. And he gives great evidence for the divinity of Christ. But listen, let's jump ahead. What is the result here? Let's go, at first they are excited, but then, but then, let's go to verse 44. I'm in chapter 13, verse 44. I hope you're staying with me. Verse 44 in chapter 13. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city, this is at Antioch of Pisidia, here in the province of Galatia, near the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with what? Envy and jealousy. Hmm. And began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming or slandering Paul and Barnabas. Pause for a second here. We said that in Cyprus, there was somebody who was opposing Paul. Who was that that was opposing Paul? It was like a magician, a sorcerer, right? A false prophet, Luke says. Now there is religious people 
And they also, because they don't accept the gospel, they're also opposing Paul. See, when you, when you let the gospel be unshackled and free in your life, opposition is going to come from within and from without. Don't, don't miss this. Here we have Luke telling us that first in Cyprus, we have a sorcerer that opposes him, a false prophet. So someone that does not have the understanding of the Bible, but claims to have some philosophy that is better than God's. Someone who claims to have some power better than God's, opposes Paul. Okay, that's from without. We, okay, he was opposed. But then when he goes to the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, there also he is opposed. But this time from strict and legalistic religious community. So you can have opposition on both sides. It's like a war with two fronts. You see that? So when you choose to identify with Christ and you choose to be a minister, an ambassador of the gospel, understand that opposition will come. If you let the gospel free, opposition will come from both within and without. Because neither side understood the, tru the truth of the gospel. Yeah? So the result was one had blindness and the, other, the others had envy. That's the result of opposing the gospel. Even if you have been in the church for a long time, you can still be blind and envious. What is the result of accepting the gospel? We're getting ahead of ourselves, but let's jump to verse 52. Look at this, verse 52, the last verse in chapter 13. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So whether you have known the Bible all your life or whether you are new in this thing and you don't even know how to pray and you don't even know and you're new to this thing, it doesn't matter. You accept the gospel, you will be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's what happened to the disciples in Galatia and Cyprus and that's, that's what can happen in Loveland, Colorado in 2023. Unshackle the gospel. Free the gospel from our own, our own stuff, our own uh, mess. Holy Spirit has not changed. He's still working in us. The gospel still has to go out to the ends of the world. We're living in that, still that, that uh, progression that Jesus gave them. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Guess what? Ends of the world is Loveland, Colorado. Most of us are Gentiles. We are 2,000s away removed from that, but the, the gospel is still the same powerful, transforming gospel, is it not? So we're still in that progression. We're still under the same calling. We're still in the same mission. Holy Spirit still, still working. We, might, we could face opposition, sure, from within and from without. There might be times when we have to, some, they had to leave. They had to leave. Because they were going to kill them. They tried to stone them. They had to leave and they kept on going to other places and to another place. So sometimes, but those doors will not be closed forever. Wherever the word of God is sown, God promises it will not come back empty. Empty. So I say to you again, Holy Spirit is still working even in your heart right now. 
And even in opposition, through opposition, through difficulty, he is working in ways we don't see. And in ways that we don't understand now. As they soldiered on, as they went on in this spiritual invasion, freeing, trying to liberate, many people believed. And there was always division. And if you read, I hope you're reading with us. We give you, we kind of give you what we're going to study so you can read ahead and talk. And maybe, and Wednesday nights, by the way, we're also studying that as well. You can join us for prayer meetings so we can, you know, we can wrestle with this thing. We're still, so to speak, writing the book of Acts. Holy Spirit is still writing the book of Acts. But there is a very important turning point here that we cannot miss. If you go to verse 46, still in chapter 13. When they were opposed in the synagogue, this was an important turning point in the church. You need to understand this. He says, Barnabas and Paul spoke out boldly and said, this, it was necessary that the word of God has spoken to you first, was spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. And they kept talking to the Jews, they kept going to the synagogues, but their emphasis changed. That barrier was crossed by Paul. It was crossed in Antioch and now in Galatia. And this brought a lot of, a lot of problems to the church, as we're going to see, but... This was the power of the Holy Spirit going forward in places in the world that had not heard the word of God before. Now they were. Now Paul says, we're also for sure going to talk to the Gentiles. So the emphasis changed. So let's keep going. Look at your map. And you're going you're gonna to follow them if you can. I know it's kind of small. But from Antioch, they went to a place called Iconium. And then Lystra. In Iconium, they tried the same thing. They tried to stone them. They had to escape. And so they ended up in, in Lystra and the surrounding areas, Luke says, in Galatia. Now, in Lystra, it was different. We're in chapter 14 now. It was, it was a different place. There wasn't a lot of, a lot of Jewish uh, influence. And so they started speaking mainly to Gentiles. And there was a leper. Uh, who be, a, a leper who believed and God, and God healed him through Paul. And when that happened, the people believed because they were, believed, they were Romans, they were Greeks, obviously. They believed in the religions there. You know Zeus. You've heard of Zeus, right? So they believed in those philosophies and they believed that from time to time the gods would come. And when they saw that, they said, the gods have come to us. To me, it's interesting how... Peter and Paul and all these guys, were, they were full of the Holy Spirit. They were doing all these things and healing all these people. And even with all the prophecies, sometimes the, 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 the Jewish people had a hard time believing that those miracles was God working in them. And here we have some people that are not exposed to the Bible, are not exposed to the prophecies. They see one miracle. And they say, the gods have come down to us. Interesting. And so they said, wow, this, this is amazing. And, and obviously, in their understanding, they, they kind of went 
went all the all out. They said, if the gods are here, we gotta we gotta honor them. We gotta sacrifice them. So they called, let's call the priest, let's do this. And they called the priest of Zeus. So you can imagine what this was. And they, and, and they came and they brought animals. They were about to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas saw, see what's happening. They're like, guys, no, no. And they tried to yell. They turned the clothes. That was a, a cultural, um, you know, cultural uh, way of saying that they were really upset, basically. And they were saying, no, no, don't do this. We're just human. And they tried to wrestle with them and tried to stop them from sacrificing to them as zoos. And Hermes, Hermes was the spokesman of Zeus. And they thought, well, the guy who speaks more is Paul, and so that he must be Hermes. The guy, and the, and the, and, and the other guy who's more dignified, that was Barnabas, he must be, he must be Zeus. And that's what, that's what they were doing. And, it, and Luke records how Paul tries to talk to them. And it's different, if you, if you look at it carefully, it's very different from the way that he talks to the Jewish people in the synagogue. So I want to I wanna compare these two. In the synagogue, he talks a lot about historical background uh, of the Jewish people. That's what they were used to. He talks about Old Testament evidences of the prophecies. He talks about eyewitnesses, accounts of the resurrection. But now, he talks about nature. He talks about creation, about scientific evidence that there is a God and that he loves you. He talks about the loving and forgiving uh, character of God. He, and then obviously he talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus. So you see, you can compare them and the two very different approaches that Paul had, knowing who he was talking to. But the end result was the same. Whether it was Christ-centered prophecy for students of the Bible, or it was Christ-centered creation for people that were not used to the Bible. The end result was the same. It was always to appeal for repentance, to preach salvation in the name of Jesus, and transformation from our lives. It's always the same. The unshackled gospel doesn't change. Even if you've been in the church for a long time and you know all these prophecies, or if, again, if you're coming to it, it's open, it's free, it's, it's accessible to everybody. The gospel of Christ always ends in repentance and forgiveness and freedom and transformation of your life and joy and Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit for us. And that's where, that's where, he, uh, that's where he preached in his first missionary journey. And now before we leave this, we, before we leave them, I, I'm speeding through because there's so, I'm leaving so much stuff behind. You got to study this thing. But when he, here in Lystra, it says that the Jews came again. Those same Jews from before. They followed them. They traveled to make sure that these people would stop. See how, how much when we are self-centered, whether we're religious or not, when we are self-centered, we don't live the image of Christ anymore. They traveled to persecute Paul and Barnabas. And they convinced them there, the people that had been trying to sacrifice to them, now are trying to kill them. And they grab Paul, they say, and they, it says, and they stone him in the city of Lystra. And as they stone him, they think that he's dead. They think, okay, that's it, that, that, that's it for Paul. Our job is done. And they drag him out of the city and live him there, thinking that he was dead. Well, after that, 
the disciples come around. You can picture those, those people that have believed they come around. They were already mourning him. There was a young man among those disciples named Timothy. You recognize him? Oh, yeah, you do. He was there. He was there looking over Paul, thinking that he was dead. I imagine Barnabas came too. Somehow he had escaped the stoning, maybe because he wasn't as, as uh, what do you call it, talkative as Paul. Sometimes the people who are talkative are the ones that get in most trouble, aren't they? So praise God for both the talkative and the not so talkative. But there he was, there they were, surrounding him, and all of a sudden, he takes a breath. <sighs> what? And they, can you imagine? And he's bleeding and he's bruised and all these rocks are on top of him. They clean him up. They tried to, they thought they were going to have to bury him that day. And all of a sudden, he is getting up. And he's, they can't believe it. He's getting up. Can you imagine how much joy when they realized that Paul had not died that day, that God had not allowed Paul to have the same now, remember, the same end as Stephen. Why do I make that connection? Do you think that Paul, when he was being stoned, did not remember himself standing there watching them kill Stephen? He did. And he thought, this is my lot now. Christ. Christ is gain. But that day, he did not die. <laughs> he lived. And him and Barnabas, you think at that point, if you look at the map, they are in derbies, right? They are not far from Tarsus. They could go easily, skip a, a few mountains, <laughs> and go to Tarsus. Our journey is done. Let's relax a little bit. Let's go, let's hit those beaches in Cyprus again. But they don't do that. After his wounds heal a little bit, you know what they did? You want, you want to know what they did? Check it out. Chapter 14, verse 22, verse 23. This amazes me. This amazes me. After, uh, let's go to verse 21. Verse 21, chapter 14, verse 21. We're wrapping it up. Hang in there. We're wrapping it up. Verse 30, 21 in chapter 14. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to where? Lystra. It's where they thought he was dead. He went back. He retraced his steps. Iconium to Antioch of Pisidia, strengthening the brothers and sisters of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, what did he say? Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Wow. When they had appointed elders for them, in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then they went home. Would you have gone back to the place where they just stoned you? <laughs> Obviously, maybe they had to be more careful. They knew who to talk to by this time. They knew where to go, where not to go. But they went back because those churches were infant churches. They were baby churches. They wanted to strengthen those people, those Gentiles. These people were not people that had grown up with the Bible. And there they were, transformed by the gospel. And when they got home, everything was fine and dandy. I wish I could tell you that. He got word. He got word that somebody had gone to those same churches 
and was starting to say that he had left things out. There were Jews that now followed Paul's steps and Barnabas' steps while he was going back. And they started preaching to the Gentiles that they needed to get circumcised in order to join the church. This was a big deal. A big, big problem. Because it went against the gospel that Paul had preached. And this was before the Council of Jerusalem. So if you follow that timeline, we're talking about AD 48 or so. Before the gospel, before the, 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 they, they settled that issue in Jerusalem, then he comes back from the journey, thinks everything is well, and then he gets report that his churches are, are falling apart because somebody has gone through and messed up with the gospel of Christ. Somebody who the church did not authorize to speak on behalf of the church. Ooh, how do you think he felt? This is why he wrote the letter to the Galatians. This is why in Galatians he talks so appealing to people. Appealing. Look, we, we got to get this straight. You got to help me here. The, you got to stick with the gospel that you were shown. This is why. So let me, let me very briefly finish this up with this appeal. If you look at the letter to the Galatians, uh, maybe we shall turn, let's read only one verse. Can we do that? Can we do that? Galatians chapter 2, where he is, he is just pouring his heart out to these churches that had just been created, ravaged by this counterfeit gospel that someone else was preaching and he's talking to them in this letter of the Galatians he talks about his own eyesight problem it was probably something with the eyes the thorn in the flesh that God chose not to heal apparently this happened in the first missionary journey and he had prayed and prayed over this and God said my grace is sufficient to you Paul I want people to see my grace through your suffering this is why in Galatians, let's read this verse. If I have to choose one verse, I'll choose this one. Chapter 2, verse 20. He's talking about how no one can be saved by what we can do in ourselves, but only by what Christ did. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself, himself for me. Therefore, I do not nullify the grace of God. In other words, if you guys do what these people are telling you to do, you're nullifying the grace of God. So in Galatians, he preaches against two extremes. And this is where I want to bring you today to finish. This is my appeal. The gospel of Christ is right in the middle. The true gospel lives right under the cross. That's the only way anybody can stay united. Through Christ. But if we veer either way, like Paul says, I fear for you guys, he said to the church of Galatians. On one side you had these Jews that were saying, you can obtain salvation through the things you do yourselves in your flesh. 
self-centered. We can do this. Oh yeah, believe in Jesus. He's the Messiah. But you do this and this and this and this. Then that's one ditch. The other ditch, Paul says, is believing that the gospel gives you freedom to do whatever you want. To please yourself in whatever way you want. They're both self-centered. Do you see it? They're both self-centered. Paul says, no, I have taught you Christ and Christ only. I have shown you how he died and resurrected for you. Don't pay attention to someone else who's not authorized to speak on the behalf of the church and of God. Either on either side. So today I appeal to you. Let the gospel free. Don't shackle the truth of the gospel by your legalism or by your licentious living. By wanting to follow the culture and the crowd. Or by thinking that I can impress God with my good and perfect works. Don't do that. Unshackle the gospel. Serve God. Because he already saved you. Oh, I should hear amens. Serve God because he saved you. Because he did everything you need. There's nothing else to add. That's why Paul got in trouble. Because he was preaching salvation is free for Gentiles and Jews. Either way, you need your Savior to heal you. Because you are enslaved to either your, your, your self-centeredness of legalism or your self-centeredness of, of wild and worldly living. Either way, you're self-centered. God wants to set you free from both. At the cross, Paul said. There's room for both. So I don't know which one you tend to. We all have our tendency either to one or the other. But the gospel is here. It hasn't changed. And if Paul was here, now someday you'll talk to Paul when in the new earth, you'll ask him all kinds of questions. But if he was here, he will tell you the same thing. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's not me. I don't live any longer. It's God living in me. That's why I'm a Christian. I wonder today. As we sing the closing song, praise him, you can come up. Is there someone who wants to unshackle themselves from either legalism or making excuses about your sin? See, the gospel doesn't, doesn't let you make excuses either. And neither does it let you say, I am good. God saves me because I am good. Either one, it's a lie. No. Let the gospel free. Unshackle the gospel. The same thing that happened in Antioch and Cyprus and Lystra will happen in your life and will happen in mine. I wonder if there's someone here today who has not given their lives to Christ yet, who has not allowed the gospel to change them and transform them into a beautiful, loving, and, and soldier for Christ, transformed in the beauty of holiness out of love for Christ if you're listening to my voice and you've never done that and you want to study the Bible to give your life to Christ and be baptized I call on you come join me while we sing
And if you've been in the church for a long time and you have the either tendency, I beg you today, unshackle the gospel and let the power of the Holy Spirit transform you as you collaborate with Him, as you serve Him out of love for what He has already done for you. Father, we thank you for your love. Help us to set free the truth about Jesus Christ in our lives today. 
Bless, bless every person who has come this morning, every person who will listen. And let your Holy Spirit wrestle with us until we see the true light of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.